Hello and welcome to the podcast for the July issue of The Lancet Neurology and I'm delighted this month to be joined for the first time by Alison Rowan from TLN. Hi Alison. Hi Richard. Thanks for joining me. Let's start with the editorial, the leading edge editorial this month which is taking a critical look at epilepsy services in the United Kingdom. Why did you choose this topic? So this is a really important issue because epilepsy is the most common neurological disorder after headache and in the UK it affects as many as 5 to 10 people in every thousand. But as things stand, epilepsy services are failing many of these patients. It's currently estimated that about 70,000 people just in England have seizures that aren't adequately controlled. So clearly there are major shortfalls in epilepsy services. And as we mentioned in the editorial, this was highlighted during National Epilepsy Week between May the 17th and 23rd with events to lobby politicians around the UK about the need for greater investment in these services. So Alison, what are the main issues here? Well, there are several issues here, but one of the major concerns is that provision of epilepsy services is patchy, with huge variation in the quality and extent of services across the country. In some areas, there are excellent services, but elsewhere, and especially in rural areas, many people have poor access to the services they need. And overall, it's estimated that about half of patients don't have access to an epilepsy specialist, even though national guidelines state that everyone with a suspected seizure should be seen by a specialist. For many patients with epilepsy, another problem is that their ongoing care remains with their general practitioners. And this probably has something to do with the fact that the UK has so few neurologists and actually has among the lowest number of neurologists for its population size in Europe. Another important concern is that even if patients do have access to a specialist, the waiting times are too long. National guidelines recommend that all patients should be seen by a specialist as a matter of urgency, which means within two weeks after their first seizure. In reality, most patients have to wait longer than two weeks, and even as long as six months in some cases. The knock-on effects can be disastrous, because this leads to delays in diagnosis and treatment. What is the editorial calling for here? Well, although there are government action plans to improve epilepsy services and guidelines on diagnosis and management, the aims of these initiatives and guidelines are not being met in many areas. So what is really needed is greater investment so that these plans can be translated into action. And as we mentioned in The Leading Edge, greater investment now could lead to savings in the future by avoiding the massive costs that come from misdiagnosis of epilepsy, for example. Another point is that decisions about how to allocate funds are made by local health authorities, so initiatives to raise awareness of the personal and economic costs of epilepsy are also needed to move epilepsy up the local health agendas. Thanks for that, Alison. Next, a review about Cadacil, which I have to say, first of all, is a new one on me, and Cadacil is an acronym. So let's start with some definitions, Alison. What does it stand for? Cadacil stands for Cerebral Autosomal Dominant Arteriopathy with Subcortical Infarcts and Leukoencephalopathy which is the term that was first coined by the authors of this review in 1993. I can understand why it's called Cadacil. <laughs> Tell us, what is this syndrome? So Cadacil is a hereditary disease that affects small cerebral arteries in middle-aged adults, and it's now known to be the most common hereditary cause of stroke and vascular dementia in adults. The main features of this condition are migraine with aura, subcortical ischemic events, psychiatric disturbances, and in the late stages, dementia. There is wide variation in the clinical presentation, both between and within families. And in recent years, there's been growing awareness of the condition, and so far, it's been reported in more than 500 families around the world, but the exact prevalence isn't yet known. What do the authors set out in this review, Alison? Marie Germain Bousset from Paris and her colleagues discovered Cadacil in 1993, 
and since then have made a huge contribution to its characterization. In this paper they chart the rapid progress that's been made in the understanding of Cadacil since its discovery and provide a really useful overview for clinicians and researchers covering topics ranging from clinical presentation and neuroimaging to therapeutic strategies as well as a discussion of the pathology, genetics and pathogenesis of Cadacil. And I see there's quite a lot of reference to the genetic roots of, of this disorder. Can you just mm-hmm. briefly mention that? So the genetic cause has been narrowed down to mutations in Notch 3, which was previously thought to be expressed only in fruit flies, but it's now known to be expressed in the smooth muscle cells of small blood vessels in humans. And genetic testing is the gold standard for the diagnosis of Cadacil, although MRI scans are also crucial. And what about treatment, Alison? Can anything be done to manage this disorder? Unfortunately, there's no proven treatment for Cadacil yet. There has been one randomised control trial looking at the efficacy of Donepacil to treat patients with cognitive impairments, which was published in TLN last year, but there was no overall effect of the drug on cognition. So it's really a case of taking a practical approach to treating the clinical symptoms, such as migraine and stroke or vascular risk factors, for example. So finally, Alison, what do the authors conclude and, and what do they say in terms of future research priorities? Well, as there aren't any proven treatments for Cadacil yet, studies to identify novel therapies are needed. And on a different note, there are some reports of families with hereditary small artery diseases that closely resemble Cadacil, but the arteriopathies are different and a link with mutations in Notch 3 hasn't been found in these families. So the characterisation of these variant forms and studies to identify the affected genes would be interesting questions to pursue. And there is also an interest in using Cadacil as a model for understanding the more common forms of subcortical ischemic stroke and pure vascular dementia. Thanks very much for that, Alison. And tell us, what other content highlights do you have in the July issue? So among the highlights, we have a trial on memantine in patients with Parkinson's disease dementia or dementia with Lewy bodies. We have a meta-analysis looking at changes in case fatality of aneurysmal subarachnoid haemorrhage over time. And we have a review on the diagnosis, natural history and management of Charcot-Marie tooth disease. Alison, many thanks for contributing your first podcast. That's terrific. Those are some of the highlights of the July issue of The Lancet Neurology. We'll be back next month.